Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts for a long time, they made us believe that, like, oh, you know, we don't have a place here. We don't fall for that narrative anymore. Before, we may have, like, it may have thrown us off a little bit. Now, it was like, hold that. We're going to do what we need to do. It doesn't matter what you're saying. And if you're not going to give it to us, we're going to figure out a way to get it. Hello, Beauty Translated listeners. This week, I am sitting down with Sean Ebony Coleman, the founder of Destination Tomorrow, which is an LGBTQ plus center based in the Bronx, but they've just opened their first Atlanta location called DT South just last year. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, Carmen. I am feeling great this afternoon. And thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really glad to have this conversation with you today. Before we talk about Destination Tomorrow and before we talk about all of the work that Destination Tomorrow does, I thought it'd be good to just start out with kind of getting a little bit about who you are for the listeners. Tell them a little bit about who you are, where you're from, and your background. This is always the hardest for me to talk about myself, so I'll try. Um, Sean Ebony Coleman, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, raised by my grandma, oldest of two children. I'm a part of the House and Ballroom community. And if you're not familiar, then Pose and Legendary gives you a frame of reference. I've been a part of the community for about 35 years. And the ballroom scene was what led me into doing advocacy work. And what led me to go into the ballroom scene was because I was looking for family. I was looking for a sense of belonging. Uh, I knew that there was something different about me, but didn't have a name to it at the time. And didn't feel like my neighbors, although they were neighborly and I had really, really good relations in my neighborhood, it, it was still something that I didn't connect with. 
So I was looking for family. And in that search for family, discovered it was during the AIDS epidemic. It was during the crack epidemic. I noticed all of these, which we now call disparities, and how people receive services. And that led me into the work. My mom was formerly incarcerated, criminally in, uh, in, involved in the criminal justice system, and also battling drug addiction, which is why I live with my grandmother. So I watched how, in some sense, the system failed her and what that whole connection looked like when you when you speak about disparities. As I came out later as a trans-masculine person, which took a, a minute to identify, because again, we didn't have that language back in the 70s and 80s, right? Like, trans-masculine, what does that actually mean? And when I finally got voice to articulate who I am, I wanted to make sure that these spaces that are designed as safe spaces for LGBTQ folks actually were accommodating and inclusive. The one thing that I noticed is that there was no representation that looked like me, right? Um, I'm in the, I'm in New York, so you think New York is progressive and it's uh, diverse and it's, there's got to be. And no, Destination Tomorrow is the first trans-led organization to run an LGBT center. How is that possible in the in the 2000s? It just didn't make sense to me. So I wanted to make sure that there was representation. So who I am, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a, a brother some days. He gets on my nerves, but I'm a brother some days. Um, I'm a community activist, and I believe in quietly disrupting systems of oppression, right? And I say quietly because I do understand that just like with any system, it's going to take a while to break it. But you can't break it until you understand significant ways to rebuild it. So I'm quietly working on breaking it and rebuilding it and looking for partnerships in doing that. Part of breaking down and rebuilding systems of oppression, like Sean is talking about, is creating spaces like Destination Tomorrow, which puts trans people first, something that we do not always see with larger, cis-led LGBT organizations. So, like you said, Destination Tomorrow is the first trans-led LGBT organization in your area, or it wasn't mm-hmm. in the United States or in New York? In New York. In, in New, New York. York. Yeah. So what was it like starting this foundation as the first trans-led foundation in New York? It was incredibly challenging because I don't think, I don't think people understand the power within the trans community. And when I say people, even some trans individuals don't understand that. And then when you layer it with other intersections, my race and my socioeconomic status, and then other things, I'm formerly homeless, I'm formerly incarcerated. When you layer all of those things, it's like, well, you can't do it. So you're met with all of that opposition from the very beginning, even though you've successfully done it for other people. So at the time that I wanted to start Destiny or that I started Destination Tomorrow, I was working at other organizations doing the very same thing that I'm telling you I want to do with Destination Tomorrow. So how is it acceptable for me to do it for my lighter skinned colleagues, but I can't do it for myself? We were met with a lot of opposition. What I realized is that funding streams are... are a little resistant to change. They oftentimes, especially during Pride, they oftentimes find those organizations that are the big shiny example of what the work looks like, not realizing that if you really want to do impactful, intentional work, you got to get in the dirt. We need to go into those spaces that historically have not seen resources and funding and platforms, significant platforms that amplify their work. So I just wanted to you know, make sure that that's what we're doing. 
that we are making the connections and building the relationships with those folks that can either lend us their platform or put us in the right room so we can have access to additional resources. That was difficult, right? Um, most people think when you start a non-for-profit, it's more about the, you know, the programs, right? Or they want to be the loudest person in the rooms because I want to bring up the problems. No, it's not just about the problems. You need to come up with significant solutions. You need to treat it like a business because it is a business. We put nonprofit in front of business and folks automatically assume it's in, it invalidates the business. It's still a business. The rate of return is different, but it's still a business. So we need to make sure that we're in those rooms. But what they didn't teach me was that networking was probably the most important thing, right? Who do you know? What rooms can you get into? Why aren't you in those rooms? How do you get access to those rooms? Once you're in the room, what are you asking for? I know a whole bunch of people that want to get in the room and they get in the room and they don't say anything. You're taking up space. We need to figure out what you're asking for when you get in the room. So the difficult part for me was building those relationships and understanding that and then also understanding that it's a business and I have to treat it as such. A large part of your donation to a big box LGBT org is going to go to marketing, advertising, and primarily focusing on the needs of the cis LGB communities, which are still in need of support. But in this current moment, trans people are in need of the most support that they can get. It's good to consider when donating who those dollars go towards helping. One thing I also thought of while you're talking about that too is, and I don't know if this is a statistic that you've heard before, but... I've heard that for every $100 that gets donated to an LGBT organization, only mm-hmm. about a dollar of that $100 is actually allocated towards helping trans individuals, which are, as we know, some of the most marginalized groups of people out there today. And of course, I don't want to disparage any other nonprofits or anything like that. But do you think that there's a lack of focus on groups of trans people as you know, needing to provide support and help for us? Yes. Yes. And I don't want to disparage anybody, but I want (laughs) to give you a real answer. I think it has a lot to do with those same systems that we claim we don't like, that we then get a little bit of power or position and we recreate. I think it has a lot to do with gatekeeping, right? Mm -hmm. Like almost like we know better what you should be doing. We'll guide it. You do it. Right. Those kinds of things. And then it's also about not having an example. It's hard to be what you can't see. So you want to make sure that I'm providing an example. I think as far as the stat, I don't think people understand that you have to be intentional with your giving as well. Right. If you're giving money to an LGBTQ organization, but you specifically want to help trans people, you have to identify that. You have to ask them, how is this going to help the trans community? If not, those dollars are going to go into whatever they deem a priority. Or you can do my favorite and you can find a trans organization, preferably a local trans organization, because a local trans, like they say all politics is local, all giving could be local mm-hmm. as well. And you find an organization locally that you resonate with. And if that means you want to help the trans community, then find a small trans organization. They can use the money. They can use volunteers. There's so much assistance that they can use. But we just have to be intentional in, in how we're giving. But then we also have to address those systems that are in place, right? So if there's a foundation or government contracts, whatever they are, I would be asking, and I often ask here in New York, what are you doing to make sure trans organizations are surviving? Right. Mm-hmm. Are you? Do we have the correct systems in place? Are we making sure we're allocating a significant amount? If your budget for LGBT programming is $27 million, 
what portion of that goes specifically to the trans community? And if you right. don't have that number, if you're doing just LGBT, what portion of those LGBTQ organizations are prioritizing the trans? We just have to really, really, really be intentional. We can't take for granted that because you're giving to an LGBT organization that the trans community is receiving what they need, which is why we need more trans leaders. But that's another story. Absolutely. And thank you for that answer, because that is something that I'm very aware of is, like you said, People, if they want to give, they'll typically give to the big, shiny organization that says, you know, they're the most Mm well-known. But in fact, the local, lesser, well-known organizations are often doing more of that footwork for the actual trans communities. And we're the most, I mean, the trans community is the most, I would say, under attack of the LGBTQ plus community at the moment. So Mm -hmm. definitely, we need... We need those resources. And to your point about us being the most under attack, right? Sometimes I get angry when I hear them frame and they say, LGBTQ rights are under attack. No, trans rights are under attack. Absolutely. Whether it's trans young people, whether it's bathroom bills, whether it's health, whatever it is, they're trans related. So when something happens to the trans communities, it's so frustrating that my cisgender LGB folks don't come out as aggressive or as angry. Like I'm always, I always go back to marriage equality. It was so well organized. There was so much thought into how they were going to get that bill passed, how we were going to get the right to marry, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this mm-hmm. well organized machine, if you will, that politically knows what it's doing, we get marriage equality, and one would think that trans rights would be the next, hey, just pass the pony. We already have the infrastructure in place. We already know what to do. You know how to raise money. Shift that to trans rights. And instead, radio silence. It did, and they did nothing. And now we're under attack. So now we're playing catch up, trying to figure out how do you respond to something when you had a well-organized machine that could have been responding to these attacks right now. Yeah. And I think that was the fear at the time of a lot of trans activists who were involved in the LGBTQ plus movement is that, yeah, we are standing up for gay rights. But when our rights are under attack, who's going to stand up for us? And we definitely need our cisgender LGB partners to step up and speak out for us right now, especially. Yeah. Last night, I went to see the movie premiere for this movie called The Stroll. It's going to yeah. be on HBO. It was I'm amazing. excited. To, I saw the trailer for that. Yeah. Oh. I'm excited. Uh, it was amazing. But um, there was a moment in it when Sylvia Rivera was on stage and she was trying to get the attention and they were booing her and telling her that she didn't belong. How do you not belong in the movement that you helped shape, that you helped bring about? So now you've gotten what you need from me and I'm of no use to you. And it still in some ways feels like that. Yeah, yeah. Let's go on a break and then we'll talk more about how to move past that and the work that Destination Tomorrow is doing. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends. We're just each other's pulse. I mean... It's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if... no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. I'm going to talk with Sean about Destination Tomorrow. So first, Sean, what are some of the things that Destination Tomorrow does and needs support in doing? So Destination Tomorrow is rooted in economic empowerment. I'm a firm believer that you have to give folks the tools that they need to be successful, especially black and brown, trans and um, gender non-binary folks. So our goal is to make sure that you have those tools, whether it's our job readiness program, whether it's our GED program, whether it's our financial literacy program, whether it's our life skills program. Those are the things that we focus on. But we also do other things. We uh, HIV testing, of course, prep screenings, STI screenings, of course, food pantry. We help with legal name change. Um, we connect to doctors. We have a network of uh, gender affirming doctors or safe spaces um, that we send our clients to. We help our clients get their surgeries if they're ready for their surgeries or the therapy that they'll need and to prepare for surgeries. And then we're a grant maker. So Destination Tomorrow is the grant maker for the Transcend Community Impact Fund, which is powered by Gilead. I love Gilead because they got the memo, right? They understood that the trans community needed their own separate money. And they give us a million dollars every year. And what we do is we go and we search nationally for trans-led organizations that can use the money. And we gift the money between thirty dollars and $50,000. But what comes with that is capacity building to make sure that those young organizations have the tools that I didn't have when I started, right? So how do you write a grant? How do you reach out to your legislator? What does it look like to invite them in to show them your programs? How do you evaluate the information that you're capturing? Are you capturing the accurate information, right? Um, just giving them like little nuggets to help them survive. 
And then lastly, we're a housing provider. Um, mm-hmm. Destination Tomorrow has what we call a switch housing program. So it's an emergency housing for current or former sex workers because sex work is real work. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are 25 and over because in New York City, what we notice, and I'm, I'm sure it's probably a national thing as well, but what we notice in New York City is you have LGBT youth housing up to 24, and then you have senior housing for LGBT community members. If you're somewhere stuck in the middle, it just sucks to be you figure it out on your own. And a lot of us, we don't have the network to support or the knowledge or skill set to figure it out on our own. Um, so we're doing housing now. We have that one program. It's 32 beds there. We just opened a sanctuary site. So we're also a provider for the sanctuary site. We have 80 beds that we provide for the city and we manage for the city. And then we're opening a 150-bed shelter for the trans and gender non-conforming folks 25 and over in the heart of Manhattan. So we're super wow. proud of that. Now, yeah. what, but what we're doing with it, again, economic empowerment is what we're rooted in. Yes. We are opening a cafe. We have a commercial kitchen in the basement. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn it into a work-study program, right? Mm, so yeah. culinary arts and those kinds of things. And then you get an opportunity to come upstairs and you can intern and be an apprentice or whatever. And we prioritize the residents of the shelter, of course. But you get an opportunity to get a certificate and something that you could potentially not just earn a living in, but could possibly become a career. Um, yeah. So we want we want to model examples like that. Like we have the knowledge and the resources in our community. Just give us the funding and support that we need to make it happen. So I'm super excited about that. It's launching in November and I'll keep you posted. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and then lastly, <laughs> we yeah. uh, just opened Atlanta. And we yeah. were excited about opening Atlanta. We've been there for a year now. And uh, we are the first trans... I'm going to say the first LGBT organization. I'm going to say it the way they said it to us. The first LGBT organization that the city of Atlanta has ever given any money to. Wow. Even just to like talk about the point that you made, like when I was a teenager, I was going to, uh, we had a thing here called Youth Pride. And after I was 24, I couldn't go there anymore. So it's fantastic that there are things like this for people who are trying to make a life for themselves, trying to set themselves up. So that brings me to my next question. And I think you pretty much have already answered it. But trans activism and queer activism is, of course, very important, I think, for getting the message out there and getting the right type of verbiage out there for people to understand. But the type of work that you're doing is more about providing people the material resources they need. And I think you've talked a lot about it, but is there anything else you just want to talk about and what is actually going to liberate queer and trans people? You know what I think is going to truly liberate queer and trans people? Us all being on the same page and us all making sure that we're genuinely looking out for each other, that we leave the politics out of it and that we make sure we're taking care of each other. That means sharing space. That means sharing resources. That means acting up when they hurt you as if they hurt me. Like That means Mm -hmm. us honestly, honestly figuring out a way to work together. I think that's what frees and liberates trans and queer folks. But it has to be rooted in honesty. We have to come to the table and like really, really address the things that I believe are holding us back, like the gatekeeping and those kinds of things. I think we need to come to the table and have those discussions. And then the other thing is making sure that our allies are allies, right? And someone asked me before, what does it mean to be an ally? And I, what does it mean to you to be an ally, right? Um, to me, being an ally is providing space for the person that you're providing this allyship for to do whatever it is they define they need in that moment. So in this moment, I appreciate you because you've allowed me on your platform with the message. 
allyship should look like that. It should be a, a big box brand, if you will, big box organization saying to a smaller organization, hey, you know what? We have some press this month. We always get press. I'm going to invite you in. Let's have a discussion so I can introduce you to these folks. That's allyship. And I think those LGBTQ organizations need to do it and need to move out of the way. You don't always have to be the center of attraction. You don't even have to be present in those moments. We have to shift it being about you and it really just being about the people that you're looking to elevate. Yes. And another thing, too, I think is a lot of people, I don't know if you ever encounter this, but a lot of people, cis allies of trans people, they tend to have like, almost like they draw a line somewhere, you know? Well, I'm a trans ally until X, Y, Z. And really being an ally is unconditional. Always showing up. Yeah. Even when you don't understand it. It's like, wait, what happened? Don't matter. Let's go. Yeah. And then I'll tell you later on <laughs> what's going on and why it was relevant in this moment. Now, I do understand that folks are, you know, if they're nervous, you don't want to do or say anything that's going to get you in trouble. So I need all the information before I go. But my ally is going to trust that I'm not going to get you in anything that we can't get out of together. You need to be conspirators together. Like let's, like I said before, we're going to get in the dirt. Let's get in the dirt together and we're going to survive it because we're doing it together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I wanted to also ask you, what do you think? As a society, we accomplish when we meet the needs of our most vulnerable groups of people. It sounds so cliche to say this, right? But I think we accomplish togetherness. I think yeah. we get an opportunity to show the humanity in all of us. And when we are the ones that are now in a position to reach back and give back or to teach or to lead or to whatever it is, right? Um, isn't that what it was supposed to be about anyway? Right. Making sure your fellow man is OK, especially if you are. So I, I think we get to like and I think in this and I don't know if the pandemic did it to us. I don't know what happened, but we've lost this sense of caring about people. It's right. like it's we're so selfish now. Folks are so me, 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 me. And we've created a society of folks that are so self-absorbed. And I think in giving back and reaching back, you begin to take some of that back. Right. Because it can't just be about you. We live in this world together. So your decisions and your actions impact all of us, but we don't believe that anymore. So I think <laughs> right? people don't, they, they, they don't act like that anymore. Yeah, they don't want to believe it. Yeah. They don't want to because it's centered around them. Yeah. And, and, and I think by us being able to like just help folks out and provide the needs, I think it's the most powerful thing you can do with your life. Absolutely. And being a giver and giving to the right organizations for people to actually have their needs met. Do you all also provide mental health services? Uh, yeah, you said you connect people with therapy. Yeah. Uh, ther we, do mental health, we do mental health screenings and those kinds of things. And then we do counseling and case management. So anyone that comes in, we give you a life plan, if you will. And then we're your partners to help you work through your life plan. So yeah, we do mental health and wellness. A lot of it is outsourced, minus the, the counseling and those kinds of things, supportive counseling, those kinds of things. Yeah. And I love this. I want to point this out also that your your website, I was, when I was researching, you all changed the the lettering of the LGBTQ plus community to be TLGBQ, yeah. <laughs> which I love. Yes, I love that. Yes, yes. Put the T first. Put the T first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that too? Like just about like mental health needs plus changing around the lettering a little bit? So mental health needs first. Whether you identify within the, the LGBTQI plus community or not, mental wellness is of utmost important. We just spoke about how self-absorbed folks are, but I think that's rooted in something else, something deeper. And I think we need to figure out ways to kind of like 
like really I'm 55 and still figuring out who I am and still getting to know me and still changing old behaviors. Right. And I think more people need to have access to the spaces and the professionals that can help you do something like that. But I think for me, mental wellness is framed negatively sometimes because I see a therapist doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. It means just the opposite. So how do we center it with our, for our community through that lens? And that's what we're attempting to do. Whether that means we're teaching you meditation or de-escalation skills, conflict resolution, those kinds of things. Also yeah. mental wellness, right? Because um, acting out or being that angry is a form of trauma. And we want you to identify it as that and then um, work through those traumas. But then we also want to, you know, teach you what peaceful resistance looks like. And how powerful that can be as well. So mental wellness is one of our top priorities because we want to make sure our community members receive the thing, again, the tools you need to be successful. And it's not just about having a job or a comfortable place to live. It's also about being mentally strong and well to understand whatever challenges come at you, you're able to deal with. And the TLGB community, the reason we frame it is, you know, I was in a city council meeting and they were talking about the budget and they were talking about how you can tell about a person's priorities by what they want to pay for. And for me, it was like, well, we can tell what a person's priorities are about what they put first. So let's put the team first. Yeah. <laughs> and make sure. I think it's time, though, right? We, uh, if we go back to that whole moment with Sylvia Rivera, mm-hmm. and she, she gave damn near her life yeah. for the gay liberation movement. Yeah. I think it's time for the gay liberation movement to pay her back. And part of paying her back would be putting the tea first and making sure that our needs are met. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. And and that is exactly like going back to the gay liberation movement. Yeah. A lot of trans people fought in the gay liberation movement, hoping that we would see that same return when it came to our rights being defended, you know? Yes. And, and so, yeah, now's the time for sure. We're going to go on another break. So listeners, we'll be right back with Sean. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, a daily podcast from Hello Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Every weekday, we bring you conversations with the culture makers who inspire us. Like our recent episode with Hollywood royalty Regina and Raina King. We talked about the creative power of women's relationships. I feel like, thank God for women. Like, especially when it comes to Black women, the way we lean on our mothers, our grandmothers, our sisters, our friends, we're just each other's pulse. I mean, it's molecular, you know? Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. 
I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. And we're back with Sean Ebony Coleman. So Sean, I just kind of want to get an idea of what things are like where you're at, because this podcast is primarily based in Atlanta. Uh, I started out talking to a lot of people from Atlanta, and it's primarily based in the South and rural areas. But can you give us an idea of what queer and trans life is like in the Bronx where Destination Tomorrow started? You know, for a long time, folks did not believe that the Bronx, which is considered one of the outer boroughs in New York City, was a safe space for trans folks. And we've dispelled that myth. We've been in our current location for about four years now. We've never had any incidents, never any problem. In fact, the community actually looks out for us and the staff here and the clients that come in. So that's not the difficult part. The difficult part comes in with a lack of education still about what it means to be a trans person in an urban setting, if you will, what that actually looks like. And for some, it's easier than others, right? I don't have too many issues because I've been transitioning for a long time. So unless I tell you, you don't, you know, it's not something that someone's just going to run up and be like, hey. Um, But for some of my younger brothers that are just starting out, it could be problematic. And it's and it's it's still, you know, folks don't believe that you can still be harassed in New York about being trans or um, and openly or openly trans in a way that doesn't present within the binary. I think that becomes more problematic because some folks have gotten into what they believe trans looks like, lumping everybody into a box, especially with our younger folks. Like they are expressing themselves however they want, unapologetically. And that comes with some ignorance. And I think those are some of the things that we see, like negative comments. Sometimes it can, you know, it can lead to other things. It hasn't too often, but it does happen. Um, New York is New York is like any other space when it comes to trying to adjust and survive in this trans body. Yeah, I think we do a good job here trying to name it and identify it. But there's still a lot more that can happen to make sure trans folks in New York City and state are taken care of. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like we said earlier, you just opened your first Destination Tomorrow location here in Atlanta, which is amazing. Do you want to talk a little bit about why you chose Atlanta as the next place to expand Destination Tomorrow into? You know, the one thing that I can say about New York is that resources are here. There may not be a lot of equity with who receives what, but there are some resources. In the South, my family in the South, um, my, my TGNCNB sibs in the South did not have that uh, opportunity. Monies are not um, that available. So what I wanted to do was bring some of the tactics that we learned in New York to Atlanta, to the South, to like see what we can get done for our family members out there and kind of provide a blueprint, not coming down South and saying, well, we know what's best, do it our way. But how do we partner with other organizations and the city uh, or any willing participant, right, to to like now say, OK, this is the move here. This is what we're going to do. How can we be of assistance, which is why we did a name change clinic, which is why we did a dress for success program, which is why we are starting a food pantry there, because it's about community. And then the one thing I want folks to understand, whether it's New York or Atlanta, Destination Tomorrow is a community based organization. Anybody can come in. If you need food, if you need housing, if you need uh, referrals for either of those things, whatever it is that you need, you don't have to identify within the community to receive those services. But you will respect the folks within our community um, when you come through our doors. But we make sure everybody is okay, which is why the food pantry was so important in Atlanta. Food insecurity was one of the biggest issues that we were faced when we came to to Atlanta. We wanted to make sure, again, that there was healthy, safe food for folks. So um, the, the move there was just making sure that all community members received the things that they need. And this is what that effort is, to continue to work in partnership with local organizations and elected officials to build out new programs and systems to help particularly trans and non-binary gender non-conforming folks in the South. Yeah. And just to even touch on like the funding aspect of New York versus Atlanta, I know just recently our governor who, you know, I don't don't even want to say his name, our governor, I, I think this was maybe a last year or a year ago, he voted to reduce state spending for the HIV and AIDS programs that we had. So, even the little bit of funding that we were receiving for LGBT organizations has now been scaled back. So now more than ever, trans and gender nonconforming people in Atlanta definitely need the support. So thank you for providing that, Sean. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Um, and then I just wanted to ask you another, it's kind of a general question. What is your favorite thing about trans, lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer community? What is your favorite thing about being a part of the community? The sense of belonging, the sense of family, right? I, I, don't, I don't even care who you are. If we're all in the same space, it's a party, it's family. Like last night was so loving. It was so nurturing. It was like, it was so celebratory. It was amazing. That's what I love. When we're together and we're on, we're on. Uh, and, and it just feels like there's nothing we can't accomplish when we're all clicking. And I just want us always to all click. <laughs> yeah. So, so, but yeah, I think, I think that's, and, and then our resilience, like look how much we've survived. Right. And, and they continue to throw things at us. And I keep telling people they're only doing that because we're surviving. 
They see our accomplishments. They see our worth. They know that we are recognizing our worth. For a long time, they made us believe that, like, oh, you know, we don't have a place. You don't have a place here. We don't fall for that narrative anymore. Like, we, we're rejecting that. Before, we may have, like, it may have thrown us off a little bit. Now, it's like, hold that. We're going to do what we need to do. It doesn't matter what you're saying. And if you're not going to give it to us, we're going to figure out a way to get it. Like, so I love that about us as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I also wanted to ask you just as, you know, because I'm I'm realizing, and I hope you don't take offense to this word, uh, when I say you're that you're a community elder. Um, yes, but, I am. <laughs> <laughs> people, I'm 30 years old, and people call me a community elder. But you know, it's just a matter of how long you've been in, you know, in the movement in the movement in the community, all of that. So what do you think the queer youth, like we'll say, TLGBQ plus youth of today has to offer the elders of the community? And what do you think the elders of the community have to offer those younger people in our community? Carmen, just let me say first that no one's ever called me an old man as nice as you just did. So thank you. So, so thank you. Um, I think, you know, the young people are our future. They're ready to do things that we dreamed of. Like, they're ready for an uprising. They're ready for a resistance. They're ready to meet the challenge, however we have to meet the challenge, whether it's protesting and marching, whether it's voting and, and, and being intelligent and intentional voters. Like, they're ready to do that. And I think, for me, what they do is they still provide that sense of motivation, that sense of passion, because I see how they get excited about it. And it's like, yeah, even when I'm tired, we could do this. What us seasoned folks have to offer <laughs> is guidance. And, you know, sometimes you have to recognize when it's time to step out of the way and let new leadership take over. And I think it's our duty to prepare those new leaders for all of the things that they're going to encounter so we can prepare them as they continue to motivate us and get ready to shift into position because they're up next. Yeah, absolutely. That was fabulous. Fabulous answer. Thank you for that. Thank you. Were there any final thoughts you wanted to share with us? I just want us to be mindful, particularly in June, that this whole Pride season that we know and love started as an uprising, right? Mm -hmm. So while we're out and we're celebrating, if you will, all of our accomplishments and recognizing some of our setbacks and challenges that we continue to move forward as a unit and make sure that we're holding people accountable because there's going to be a lot of folks that pop in in June and pop out July 1, that we're holding <laughs> folks accountable, um, that we're recognizing the moment that mm -hmm. we're in and that we're responding appropriately. Yeah, because we are in one of the toughest moments to be a, a trans person in the United States right now. For sure. And it's funny you say people want to pop out on July 1st. I'm thinking about Target and Budweiser who didn't even wait till July 1st to pop out. They, they were like, we're done. It's not even, but yeah. But you know what's funny about that whole Target situation, if I can? Yeah. Um, I, I, I just really felt like like that was our moment to show up. Right. Yeah. That was our moment to show Target. No, don't pull anything out. We got your back. We mm -hmm. should have flooded every Target that was local. We should have been there in those moments when they're trying to be disruptive and take the displays down and that kind of thing. Not meet it with the same aggression, but letting folks know, no, we're still here. You can take those items down and I still exist. Right. Exactly. So how do we respond? Because it's going to be a lot more of those moments. They're going to pressure brands and companies to shy away from us. Right. That's the whole thing that Florida is doing. They want them to mm -hmm. shy away from us. And we have to respond in kind. But what does that response look like? And I think we at this very moment need to figure out what that organized response is going to be and then nationally like, make it happen. 
Yeah, yeah, because the other side has figured out what that what that response will be. And it's, you know, of course. They have a well-executed plan. This has been in the works for a long time. This didn't just pop out with Florida. This has been their plan all along. And unfortunately, we had one plan. We accomplished what we wanted and we packed up our britches and went home. And then we realized we left a lot on the floor. Yeah. And that was same-sex marriage, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, thank you, Sean, for sharing your perspectives and also talking to us about Destination Tomorrow today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Where can the listeners find you and follow you? And also, where can they learn more about Destination Tomorrow? So they can go to the website for destinationtomorrow.org to find more out about the information. And you can find us on IG, uh, Destination Tomorrow 452. For me, I'm Sean E. Coleman on all platforms. So Facebook, IG, Twitter, all of those things that they tell me I need <laughs> to, to get a point across. Yeah. But yeah. Um, and, and then we're having Bronx Pride and we do Bronx Pride every year. You know, if you're familiar with New York, every borough has its own pride. Ours is always the third Saturday of the month. So that falls the day before Father's Day is the easiest way to remember it. So we're gearing up for Bronx Pride. If anyone's listening or this, this comes out before, then come through and hang out with us or visit our website, get some information about pride and, and you know let's let's have a ball let's have a party to celebrate yes i love that thank you sean and i'll be posting in the episode description you'll have all the links that sean just mentioned there so that you can check them out thank you so much for spending time with us today sean thanks for having me i appreciate it beauty translated is hosted by me carmen Laurent, and produced by kurt garen and jessica kreinchich with production assistance from jennifer bassett Special thanks to Ali Perry and Ali Cantor for their support. Our theme song is composed by Aaron Kaufman. Beauty Translated is proud to be part of the Outspoken Network from iHeart Podcasts. For more iHeart Podcasts, listen on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie 
Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.